to all those who are listening to us today by live stream. Hello to you, wherever you are, and we're glad to, to be able to worship together today. Um, it was on a Wednesday, August the 28th, 1963, in Washington, D.C., the weather had been hot the two weeks previous to that, really hot and muggy, but on this day, the weather was pretty good, it's upper 70s, low 80s, low humidity, all in all, a really nice day for a march, if that's what you wanted to do. And about 250,000 people gathered there on the National Mall for a march, what was called the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. It was a march for, for civil rights. It was a march for uh, economic rights. It was a, a march to try to end the racism that had been tearing our country apart. I know that you've probably seen uh, pictures of it. Maybe some of you were there. I was two years old, so I was a little young for marches. But I saw pictures, and I've seen film footage, and I can picture in my mind all the people gathered on the National Mall, and many of them would take their shoes and socks off and, and dangle their feet in the reflecting pool. And speech after speech was given that day from the Lincoln Memorial, uh, but it was that last speech of that day uh, that became one that was known around the world. It was that speech given by that 34-year-old civil rights leader and Baptist minister named Martin Luther King, Jr. And as he stood there and started his speech from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, it, it was going about like a usual speech would go. He started talking about the Emancipation Proclamation, which was a hundred-year anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation, and about the millions of people that had been set free by the Emancipation Proclamation and the irony that a hundred years later his people were still not free like they needed to be and that's the way the speech was going as you know that speech that he gave today became uh, it was voted the greatest speech of the 20th century but it almost wasn't because he was not really planning on talking about the I have a dream part of that speech until Mahalia Jackson. You know who Mahalia Jackson is. If you don't, you need to find some of her music and listen to it. But Mahalia Jackson was standing in the background, and you can hear her voice if you listen to the tape saying, tell about the dream, Martin. Tell about the dream. And then all of a sudden, something on the inside of, of Dr. King just kind of shifts because he, he shifts from being... Uh, speech giver to being a preacher giving a sermon and he starts out with those words I have a dream I have a dream and that one phrase I think did more to further the movement that would change the direction of our country maybe more than anything else because you know what dreams are powerful powerful about three months ago um I gathered together with some of you in some of your homes. We, we pulled together what I called listening sessions. Uh, we met in four different homes around the community, some of your homes, I'm sure, and some of you were there. And what I wanted to do was get to know you better. I'm still trying to get to know you better, have you get to know me and my family. But I also wanted to hear from you. I wanted to hear from you the things that are going well in our church, the things that need a little bit of work. And and then that last question was the one that I really wanted to, to kind of stir something up in you. 
the question went something like this. If God were to wildly bless our church, what would it look like around here in five years if God just wildly blessed us? Now, why in the world would I ask a question like that and have you respond? I ask a question like that because it's dream-provoking, and dreams are powerful. So during the month of January, I'm going to be preaching a series called my I Have a Dream series. And each Sunday, I'm going to be sharing with you one of my dreams for our church. Today, my dream for our church is that we will be a church that is inwardly strong. Inwardly strong. This is a lot like the dream that Paul had for the church in Colossae. He had not physically been there and seen that church, but he had heard about it. He had a friend named Epaphras who would come to see him in prison. Paul was in prison in Rome when he wrote this letter. And, but while he was there, Epaphras came and told him about the Colossian church. He said, this church is a church that has a strong faith in Jesus Christ. This church is a church that has a deep love for each other. And because of that, Paul writes the words that we're going to read just now. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14 this morning. For this reason, Paul writes, Since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So inwardly strong. We know what it means to be outwardly strong. We've seen all of those advertisements that they show at the end of the year, you know, when they're trying to get you to join the gym or they're trying to get you to buy that expensive uh, exercise equipment and they have the, the men and the women there and they're always real ripped, right? And they're always smiling. I don't understand that. When I go to the gym, I'm not smiling. So that's kind of a picture of being outwardly strong and that's, that's a good goal. That's a good goal. But maybe a better goal is to be inwardly strong. So what does that mean? Inside your, your newsletter there, you can find an outline. If you're the type of person that likes to do outlines and fill-ins, then that's for you. So inwardly strong starts with two great prayer requests that Paul gives, starting in verse 9. The first one is this. He prays that we might be filled with an ever-growing knowledge of the will of God. So Christians who want to grow inwardly strong start by praying this way. God, I want you to have ever growing on inside of me a knowledge of what your will is. Now, let's be honest. Does that prayer sound like the prayers that we usually pray? Probably not. Because um, a lot of the time we think that the primary purpose of prayer is to get God to listen to us. 
when a big part of prayer is to get us to listen to God. You see the difference there? Sometimes we come approach to prayer uh, as if the purpose of prayer is, is just simply to convince God to do what we want God to do. When a big part of prayer, and we don't realize that we don't realize what we miss out if we miss this big part, is to discover what God wants us to do. So, and also, if we're honest, we go to prayer a lot of times with this posture. My will be done, right? Instead of this posture. God, thy will be done. So, inwardly strong begins with the prayer that asks for more and more knowledge of what God's will is. And then the second prayer is this, that this knowledge that is ever growing inside of us can somehow be applied to every area of our lives. To be able to apply, apply this knowledge. This is a prayer for spiritual wisdom and understanding like it says in verse 9. Both of those imp- are important. Spiritual wisdom is, is the Greek word Sophia. And, and we think about um, the knowledge of what you could call the first principles. The, the foundational principles of God that we need to, to build our lives on. Those, those first principles. The, the thing that we would build our foundation on if we lived a principled life. So I, I started talking about Martin Luther King Jr. back in 1963. Well, let me, let me hop back even further to January the 3rd, 1521, and a guy named Martin Luther. On January 3rd, 1521, Martin Luther was excommunicated from the Catholic Church because of his 95 Theses and because of his conflict with the church. But he was kicked out because of his principled life. And here's what he said, and this is important for us to hear. Martin Luther said, here I stand, I can do no other. Here I stand, I can do no other. He knew what his principles were. He he knew what his foundation was. He knew what he stood for, and he stood on principle, and he bore the consequences of that. Well, let me ask you to consider, do you know what you stand for? Do you know what you stand for? Those non-negotiable principles that you live by. Understanding is a different word in verse 9. Spiritual wisdom, knowing what the first principles are. Understanding is a Greek word, sunesis, and it means the ability to apply the first principles in every situation. To be able to actually apply them. I want you to think about how this works together. It's about knowing what God's will is. It's about knowing those basic principles that God wants us to know about how to relate to him and how to relate to each other. And then being able to apply those principles in every situation that comes along. Knowing, of course that's important. We've got to know, but it's not enough to know. We've got to really understand. And to really understand means we put the knowledge into play in a very live and real way. Let me give you just a simple example. If just knowing were enough, then nobody in the United States would smoke a cigarette after 1965, right? Congress passed what was called the um, Cigarette Labeling and Advertising Act in 1965. And from that time on, every pack of cigarettes had to have a warning label. It said something like, warning cigarette, uh, smoking may be hazardous to your health, or whatever, whatever the warning said. 
prior to that time, it wasn't on there. But now, there it is in black and white. We all have the knowledge, right? And yet, according to the Centers for Disease Control, 480,000 Americans a year die from smoking-related illnesses. So obviously, knowledge doesn't necessarily bring about true understanding, does it? True understandings means that we have the knowledge and we apply it in a personal way. So to do that takes power. To do that takes the Holy Spirit working inside of us. And thank God that we have God's power, not just ours. Or we'd never be able to apply the knowledge uh, in a real way. So our prayer for knowledge of God's will and for spiritual understanding and spiritual wisdom includes a request. God be strong in me. Holy Spirit, work inside of me so that I can live out these principles. I can live them out. And remember, the purpose of all of this, there's a purpose behind this. The purpose of being inwardly strong is, again, listen in verse 10. Uh, we're inwardly strong for a purpose. Verse 10 says, So that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, as you bear fruit in every good work and grow in your knowledge of God. A fruitful, active, God-glorifying life is the purpose of being inwardly strong. Inwardly strong continues with two great gifts we see in verse 11. Here's verses 11 and 12 again. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from His glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Two great gifts that Paul writes about here. The first one is this. I call it enduring patience. Enduring patience. Uh, it is kind of the connection of two different words. One word we would, we would call fortitude, internal fortitude. It's sometimes translated as steadfastness in the Bible. It's the ability to just deal triumphantly with whatever life throws at you, whatever circumstances. It's being patient in the midst of your circumstances, whatever they are. The other word that is related to that patience is a word that in the Bible a lot of times is translated long-suffering. I picture, have you ever seen a, a toddler and, and a dog, and the dog is, bless its heart, having the toddler full of ears and everything, you know, and it's just bearing, uh, long-suffering. That's what I think about when I think about it. Some of you have pets like that, I bet, that made it through the toddler years. So... Um, this other word is long-suffering. It is about patience with people, okay? You know, those un don't, don't look around at anybody or anything, but those people that are unpleasant to deal with, um, that sometimes kind of spoil your day. So Paul is praying that we would have enduring patience, patience toward circumstances, patience toward people. That's inwardly strong inwardly strong and the second gift that he talks about is what I would call joyful thanksgiving uh, joyful thanksgiving is connected to enduring patience listen to what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5 16 through 18 he says rejoice always pray without ceasing give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you in everything give thanks now we all know don't we that it's easy to be joyful and thankful when everything's going great. That doesn't take any kind of inward strength to do that. But to be joyful and, and 
thankful uh, when things are not going great is what it means to be inwardly strong, inwardly strong, to be joyful even in the midst of suffering. Charlie Mole was an English Anglican priest who was one of the leading New Testament scholars of his day back in the, in the 60s was his heyday. Um, and he writes this about joy. I really like this quote. He says, if joy is not rooted in the soil of suffering, it is shallow. If joy is not rooted in the soil of suffering, it is shallow. Um, We can be joyful even in the midst of pain, even in the face of suffering, because we have a great reason to be joyful and thankful. Uh, As Christians, Paul reminds us that we share in an inheritance with all the saints. Remember last Sunday I talked about what it's like to live as a child of the king. We, we share in the inheritance. And we also have been transferred into God's kingdom. Transferred is a great and interesting word in verse 13. Transferred. We've been transferred. Back in Bible times, whenever a, a one kingdom would invade another kingdom and conquer it, they had the habit of, of transferring the entire population back to the conquering land. We see it back when the kingdom of Israel divided into the northern and the southern kingdoms and the northern kingdom was invaded by Assyria and they just hauled them all, just lock, stock and barrel back to Assyria. And then when the southern kingdom was invaded by Babylon, they rounded everybody up and took them back to Babylon. So what Paul is saying here is, is look, because Christ has conquered sin and death, then you and I are transferred from darkness into light. We're transferred from slavery to freedom. We're we're transferred from condemnation to forgiveness. We're transferred into God's kingdom. And because of that, because because of that, we can have an internal gladness despite our circumstances, despite those people who drive us crazy. We can be inwardly strong and joyful and thankful well verse 12 talks about giving thanks it comes from a Greek word eucharisteo and we get from that word the word eucharist which is another term used for holy communion so as we come to receive eucharist this morning I want us to do so with joyful and thankful hearts As we come to the table today, I want you to join with me in praying um, that this dream would become a reality in our church, that we would be made inwardly strong with all of the strength that comes from God's glorious power so that that our lives would bear fruit and bring glory to God. Amen. I want to invite you to turn with me now to page 12 in your hymnal.
continue as we look at the great thanksgiving in the middle of page 13. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Pour out your spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. <laughs> 